Well, in Houston, I'm John Herter. It's Tuesday, the seventh day of March. Great as always to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, From the Experts is a virtual networking opportunity flow accelerator, helping leaders across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. It's like a TED Talk with interaction. So what's in it for you? The FTE promise, if all goes well, your curiosity sparked, new ideas accelerate into action, and you may have helped yourself or somebody else solve the problem, make the connection, reaching the opportunity faster. The Energy Transition Channel show is brought to you by the Endeavor Institute, experts at developing transformational leaders for the future. Folks, help me welcome guest expert Kevin Mullet. Kevin is an experienced financial executive and business model strategist. He's raised millions for early stage technology companies, supporting management team development, tax reporting, and access to capital. In VP finance and CFO roles, he's helped companies in fuel distribution, oil and gas, and sauce technology sectors. They've helped them navigate through challenging financial periods, building Kevin's strong reputation for results and exceptional aptitude in business and financial model. In 2019, while contemplating which project to take on next, Kevin came to a turning point, and he decided that contributing to solving clean energy was very important, which he considered to be an industry ecosystem structural problem. Well, Kevin, here we are, four years later, closing in on a new geothermal power plant solution. Gosh, we're grateful that you could stop in, connect, and share your insights with the FTE Network today. Kevin? Oh, thanks, John, and uh, thanks everyone for uh, logging on here and being part of the conversation. Uh, um, uh, certainly, our journey started in 2019 uh, when we, um, you know, discovered that small hydro assets were being discarded uh, by utilities in North America. And I dug into it. I found there's like 2,000 small hydro assets in the same situation. So it's fairly dysfunctional because utilities were on the one hand scrambling for clean energy assets and on the other hand discarding, you know, tens of millions of dollars worth of assets, uh, uh, which could have been, you know, profitably refurbished. So uh, that's what really drew my attention um, and, uh, you know, uh, made me realize it's, it's largely a modeling, you know, an ecosystem problem. And it was, you know, North America wide, you know, not isolated to one or two utilities, but uh, uh, kind of a widespread ecosystem problem that makes sense, no doubt, to the utilities, but, you know, outside looking in didn't make a lot of sense. So uh, that drew my attention. And I asked my brother if, uh, you know, my my brother and co-founder is an accomplished engineer and uh, um, has done huge projects, bringing in many technologies into one solution. And uh, I said, look, you know, I've got the finance and modeling uh, expertise and you've got the, the ability to bring together complex uh, technology solutions. Let's see if we can kind of shake the snow globe and uh, come up with uh, a different way of doing it that's going to accelerate progress a decade or two. Uh, kind of jump ahead of the line a little bit like uh, Tesla or SpaceX, right? Just jump ahead a little bit, not necessarily follow the tradition of the evolution. So I, I guess uh, what I'd like to do right now, John told me I'm a slow talker because I'm from Atlantic Canada. So I just want <laughs> I just want to uh, jump in a little bit with our um, with our slide to follow through, and I'm going to talk really fast through this so that we can get down to the technology nuts and bolts at, at the end. 
so when we created um, uh, GreenQuest Power, uh, what's important to it is, is our philosophy allows us to think differently. So we're not focused on maximizing profit or bottlenecking a technology. Uh, we're focused on solving a global problem or a global challenge, which is uh, clean energy assets. And we found uh, initially in the research, we found that uh, the price points right now in energy are such that we can uh, do best practice from top to bottom. So we can treat all of the stakeholders, uh, the communities, indigenous communities, we can treat everyone re with respect, uh, financially reward everyone, uh, hold high environmental standards, and we can also invest significantly in technology solutions. So uh, when we realized that, we said, well, we can really kind of rethink what the barriers are right now. Uh, so uh, then we needed to design what our objective in a clean energy asset would be. So how are we, you know, thinking about what it is we're trying to, to solve or come up with? So we want a, a solution that can be located anywhere. So, you know, hydro plants are great clean energy assets, but you need a very large watershed and you need to be able to change the environment. Uh, traditional geothermal, you need a hot zone. You know, so we wanted something that was a global solution so that we include, you know, more of the populated world. Um, we wanted, uh, you know, nothing against wind or solar, but that's not the solution we were after. We wanted something that was stable and base load capable, non-polluting, reliable, small footprint and cost competitive. So we wanted to be competitive with uh, natural gas, oil or coal. So uh, when we were looking at that, we realized that geothermal, some geothermal uh, projects currently check all of the boxes except for location, right? And so uh, that was kind of our mindset going in is, uh, okay, we, how do we jump from hot zone only geothermal to something that can be um, implemented globally? And so this time, I think, John, you wanted to hop on there and, and run a poll. There she goes. Awesome. Yeah, you can keep talking. And, and by the way, everybody, go ahead and mute yourself. So while you're taking the poll, Kevin, keep, keep rolling. And we'll, uh, I'll post the answers when they come out. Okay. So um, continuing the conversation, so a Department of Energy uh, and the International Development Bank and several major like political players are, are really jumping on to geothermal now and recognizing potential. So uh, Department of Energy in January announced $283 million of investment to kind of accelerate uh, geothermal development, $155 million of that is for transitioning best practice and, uh, and talent from oil and gas into geothermal. And why are they doing that? Well, there's so many categories where oil and gas is, has been, um, you know, the industry advancing the technology that geothermal will now use and build upon. So the most common uh, type of uh, geothermal development today, uh, you know, where we have huge companies like Fervo, um, you know, really driving that development um, is uh, fracking or engineered uh, enhanced geothermal systems. There's a few names for it. And essentially that's injecting uh, a geofluid like water into porous rock or uh, fractured rock and, um, and, and pumping up 
the, the geofluid once it's hot. And the reason they're doing that is to create more surface area contact and thermal conductivity into the geofluid. And so this is something that can work in hot zones, uh, you know, at shallower depths of, you know, say, a couple kilometers, two or three kilometers. And uh, you can drop enough heat uh, to run an organic uh, Rankine cycle power plant. That is um, a great solution. I think it's got a great future ahead of it in hot zones. That is um, a little different than what we're looking for because we don't want to be restricted to uh, hot zones. And we also want a closed system where we can have more control of uh, all of the technical factors and have a longer life of asset. So we're moving past that one. We'll take a look at uh, what Ever's solution is. Now, Ever is um, uh, a leader in closed loop uh, geothermal systems. So their approach is uh, to drill down to the heat and build a radiator to create a surface area for the thermal conductivity. Um, and they use a cold pipe on the way down and a hot pipe on the way up to the surface. They're using a geothermal uh, a fluid, people are calling it, um, which um, they keep to themselves. But let's say it's something like supercritical carbon dioxide. Um, and it flows itself to the surface when it's heated. So not a lot of pumping required, if any. And this is a, a lot of, this very aligns with our, our approach, except that they're so far, you know, their, their deepest um, project is six kilometers in New Mexico. So they went six kilometers, built a radiator, got around 220, 240 degrees. Uh, you know, uh, so they're focusing on hot zones, but even so, they've adopted this, this philosophy where they're trying to create a linear or sublinear cost of drilling. So every meter, the deeper they go, it's going to cost them the same no matter how deep they go, or it'll even cost them less the deeper they go. So that is something that we have adopted as well. Where we differ a little bit from ever is, uh, first of all, we're not focused on hot zones. And second of all, um, because we're uh, all in on the linear, sublinear drilling cost, uh, we're more aligned with Greenfire's approach of a pipe inside a pipe, um, where there's cold on the outside, and then there's a, an inside pipe with uh, that collects a hot fluid and brings it to the surface. Another element, uh, of course, that most are, are well aware of uh, on this call would be binary organic Rankine cycle plants, uh, which is now a cookie cutter solution uh, for 20 to 40 megawatt uh, kind of grid, you know, grid size of plants. So um, if we look at uh, uh, how it works, basically the hot fluid comes into the heat exchanger and heats up a fluid, uh, an organic fluid like butane, which expands, drives the turbine, um, and then cools and comes back to the heat exchanger. Uh, so there's a closed loop on the surface. And of course, we've, uh, you know, we're aligned with a closed loop down hole. Um, and uh, we're also aligned with kind of a modular approach. So here, there's so many people from Texas uh, that signed up uh, today. We took a small uh, company from Texas, Criterion, they're, they're looking at uh, 20 megawatt uh, components and they'll just keep adding 20 megawatt components to get to the size they want. And uh, that, that strategy seems to be catching on and 
So Sonoma County in uh, California, for example, uh, just awarded three companies, uh, 20 megawatt pilots, and they'll keep adding these kind of 20 or 40 megawatt components to scale up to 200 megawatts each. And so those three companies, Chevron, Cirque and Ever, you know, three uh, well-known companies won those contracts and they, they're taking that modular approach that, uh, that we um, kind of have adopted as well. So what do we need to bring uh, geothermal um, from a, a hot zone only solution to ge geothermal anywhere solution? Well, we need a closed loop system on the surface, a closed loop system downhole. Um, that's uh, so that we can reduce the cost of money by having a very predictable system. Uh, we also need to be able to drill to roughly 15 kilometers. Why? Because at say 20 degrees Celsius per kilometer, uh, we would need about 15 kilometers to reach 300 degrees. Now, 300 degrees Celsius is a much less expensive um, uh, temperature to be dealing with, both in terms of um, your downhole um, uh, costs and also even the, the surface costs with your organic Rankine cycle plant. Uh, both are much more efficient at 300 degrees Celsius. So in order to drill 15 kilometers, you can't, you know, can't tolerate any technical bottlenecks, you know, like mudding, for example, right now it's bottleneck at six to eight kilometers. Um, we need to be using technologies that are linear or sublinear in cost so that we can't use or rely on technologies that are going to be uh, much more expensive the deeper you go. We need a reliable speed, and we want fixed cost per meter contracts, again, for cost of money. The main cost in renewable energy assets is the cost of money. Um, you know, there's low operating maintenance cost. The cost of money is the main expense. And uh, we can carry that further and ensure those projects to um, really uh, suppress or keep the cost of money low. So what do we have so far? Well, we have a close, uh, a close system available, uh, both for you know, the uh, the power plant and for the downhole tech, uh, we unfortunately have bottlenecks to drilling deeper. Uh, we are not achieving linear cost. We have advanced drilling tech that is very, very fast, sometimes achieving uh, five to 10 times, uh, you know, traditional speeds. So the speed is, is really improving lately. And uh, some advanced drilling tech companies are offering uh, fixed cost per meter contracts. Um, and the insurance companies have not really jumped on board yet, but they're looking, okay? <clears throat> and anyone who's interested in the insurance side can uh, reach out to me later. Uh, however, if we're talking about 15 kilometers, uh, well, obviously we don't have reliable speed to 15 kilometers and, you know, we can't get a fixed cost per meter contract to 15 kilometers. No one's drilling that deep yet. So if we're taking this uh, kind of strategic approach to development or you know, jumping ahead of the queue a little bit and, and creating a global solution instead of a hot zone solution, uh, what's the approach GreenQuest Power you know, is using? Well, we're gonna identify the technology barriers, uh, design a financial model uh, with a workable engineering budget, a very large engineering budget, to optimize the technology uh, solutions, both from in industry tech and outside industry tech. 
And then we're going to locate regions where there's a strong need for clean energy at the price point that's workable in our financial model. So we're saying, look, we're working it backwards and we're saying this is what we can do at this price. Instead, we're saying uh, this is what we need to advance, right? And then we're looking for that situation or that scenario politically to accomplish that. And then we initiate the project. Now, our preference when we initiate the project is to start with a commitment for a long-term power purchase agreement because that eliminates some of the risk and a lot of the, the cost in these types of projects or the risk profile. So if we can start with the power purchase agreement, that's ideal. And then we jump into the design. However, obviously in the design, we have to have an idea of how we're replacing the technology barriers with other technologies and, and, and then proceed into design. So that being said, um, you know, uh, today, I, I'm really happy that uh, that we were able to get some uh, leaders together in the industry and and start a conversation um, and open a conversation, maybe some relationships where we can talk about uh, these different um, technology um, challenges that we're going to face to be able to drill 15 kilometers when we can drill 15 kilometers cheaper and faster and reliably uh, with insured contracts, geothermal will be an ideal clean energy solution globally. Got it. Kevin, thank you very much. So let's go ahead and post that uh, the results here. Take a look at that. And we've got quite a few uh, questions that are queuing up. And uh, so what I'd like to do is kind of go back to that. Um, let's see here. Uh, and you, Kevin, when you got any comments on the poll, go ahead and go for it. Um, Skeels, uh, Brian's talking about, uh, he's got the feeling that geothermally gradually runs out of gas, cooling off over a few years. It requires moving to another site again, where the delta T is maxed out again and then allowing original site rebuild temperature profile. Has this been proved, uh, has this been improved upon? Sorry, can you run that by me again? Yeah, it's okay. So we've got a bunch of questions. Brian's saying, "Does your uh, do your wells get uh, cool, and you have to move to new wells and let them regenerate?" Well, uh, the the approach that we're taking is a closed loop system. So all the fluid is inside a pipe. We're not trying to tap into a reservoir or a well at all. Okay. It's just a pipe into a dry, hot rock. Got it. Then you've got uh, a Trent. He says, "Do you think that open reservoir geothermal?" EGS is limited to hotspots. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. So in the financial modeling so far, it is. And I think it makes the most sense there because if you can drill deeper, uh, you know, with a linear or sublinear cost, then another model is going to make more sense at that point. So I, I, where, you know, in like Texas or New Mexico or Nevada or wherever, where you can reach a 40 degrees per kilometer um, geothermal gradient, right. uh, yeah, it's going to make a lot of sense. Or in California, or you know, volcanic area or hot springs or whatnot. Um, Got it. But uh, if if you have to drill ten kilometers, you you might as well use a different technology. So so and pull down your presentation, would you, so we can see the whole screen? Sure. But then uh, Steve Sharp is saying, is this actually considered safe energy production? Kind of a broader question. Yes, at this point, you know, you've got uh, modeling um, and data available 
So you're just pulling off the, the fluid uh, dynamics and the modeling that's being provided by the tech leaders, uh, you know, green fire and ever or two that, that we're really um, watching very closely. Yeah, great. So, well, let's go ahead and open the floor. We have a few more questions, but folks, if you're new to the FTE show, we always start with this group discussion question that our expert has for you just to get the conversation rolling. Uh, but also feel free to ask your own questions and share the experience that you have with the group eh, briefly, 30 seconds, so we can keep the discussion interactive. Just use the raise your hand button uh, in the toolbox there on the bottom, and we'll call on you. Hey, and if we call on you, you're also welcome to say, hey, pass, and we'll move on. So please give your name and who you're with before you decide to share and keep the chat box active and moving on. So here's Kevin's question for the group here. I'm gonna cut and paste it in there. I can get there real quick. It is, you know, generally speaking, what do you think the most significant barrier to geothermal becoming an affordable clean energy solution is globally? Any thoughts on that? Please raise your hand. And, and y'all help me if I can't, if I'm not catching everybody's uh, hands when they're up. Then we have another question, um, which is down here. It's from uh, Marco Adzik. He's asking, well, what is your general opinion to uh, drilling two wells with long horizontal section, collision at the end and make closed loop? That may be too technical for you, Kevin. I don't know. No, uh, no, I mean, like we're seeing that, right? It's being done. Um, so, uh, again, I think it, it just depends if you're, if you're, uh, achieving linear sublinear drilling cost, right. then maybe that's not a, a solution, but in the interim, it's a solution because, um, you know, we don't have linear costs. So at a certain point of, you know, a depth in your financial modeling, it's going to be less expensive to go horizontally, right. And maybe to push through rock to increase your uh, surface area. Um, and whether you're doing it through injection or, or you have a closed loop doing it like ever, ever builds a radiator, but it's basically the same idea. Um, and, and there are other, many other, uh, companies doing that idea of moving horizontally at a certain depth. So I, I think uh, the difference with us is that, uh, you know, we're focused on solving that kind of linear sublinear cost of drilling so that we can, uh, open up a different financial model. Got it. Uh, we've got David Gilman asking, what are your thoughts on the financial trade-offs of reducing in deeper, lower temp gradient areas versus improving grid connection from those high temp gradient solution uh, locations? Did you catch that? Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to get my head around the question. So um, David, go ahead, do, go ahead and just kind of critique that a little bit more for him. Oh, I see the transmission. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it, I, I think just like the, in uh, terms of a, a global solution, I think the global solution is, you know, financially, if, if you're talking about your, your, you know, creating a global solution, really, it has to be more domestic than, than saying you're going to build transmission from hot zones to cold zones. Uh, so um, I think it's just about, you know, how far do you want to go down the line in terms of being a global solution, I think. So in some cases, yeah, it's going to make sense. Build, you know, you've got a hot 
zone and you can build to a neighboring cooler zone. Um, and that transmission, you know, is going to make sense, especially today we have, uh, you know, uh, we have evolved our transmission, so uh, we have less loss, so it's, it can make sense. Um, um, and it's, it's just not what we're focused, it's not the question we're solving. Got it. So what we're trying to solve is to, to be able to build this in everyone's backyard and it to be competitive with the cost of natural gas. Uh, Trent, would you go ahead with your question, please? Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, uh, thanks, Kevin, for your for your talk. Um, I've uh, been in geo geothermal, maybe like, unlike a lot of people on this call, I've been in geothermal for 15, 16 years. I've been uh, at Alt Rock and Cirque and uh, um, very familiar with all these different uh, solutions. Um, uh, DOE just did a study showing uh, it's pretty hard with closed loop to get low levelized cost of, of electricity down below 100 or even even higher per megawatt hour. I'm just curious, and and uh, you know you're you're well because it's just going to be conductive heat flow to the to the closed loop is going to cool off pretty quickly. You're going to produce temperature fluids much cooler than the rock temperature uh, because of that. Um, so I was just kind of curious what uh, what levelized cost of electricity you've calculated and if you can share that or not. And then you know how do you deal with the the cooling that you're going to see due to conductive you know, rocks are not conductive rocks are insulators so that's a kind of an issue yeah so uh, i saw someone uh, brought up uh, kind of the diameter of the pipe that's one of the surface area uh, solutions and and the other thing too that that kind of aligns uh, with what you're talking about trent is that um when you have a linear sublinear cost of drilling you can just go straight down and that solves a lot of that uh, uh, thermal conductivity issue for how much heat you can draw from the rock and so you're going into hotter and hotter rock and you're while you're creating uh, your uh, surface area so that's uh, you know so we're we're insulating down to uh, a temperature point and then any additional surface area that we need, uh, we just keep drilling straight down to, to accomplish that. And I'm not saying that we'll never build a radiator at the bottom, but uh, chances are, you know, if we're hitting linear, sublinear cost, uh, the most efficient way to, to create that surface area is, um, is just drilling straight down. So uh, we've got another question. Um... Uh, Lee Erickson says, have you had any discussions with drilling technology companies about developing downhole tools bits for this extreme temperature at depths that you've mentioned? Uh, yes, we have. And we're always reaching out and trying to talk to more people uh, because that essentially is a, a huge part of what we're doing. So, uh, you know, we don't want to stop to re, re you know, stop for, you know, 12 hours to replace a drill bit you know, or 18 hours or depending on how deep we are, you know, like we'd like to be able to do our repairs and maintenance um, downhole. Um, we would like to really limit the, the um, wear and tear. And so we're looking at everything from AI solutions to a drill bit slot, um, uh, drill bit uh, design. Um, we're uh, looking at the uh, power source downhole uh, we're looking at mudding. Is there a solution to replace mudding? Uh, so we're looking at some pretty different ways of, of making drilling faster, uh, more predictable, 
and uh, much less experience, uh, expensive. I think it's fair to say, Kevin, part of what's happening here is you're looking for partners in these kinds of areas. So for everybody out there, if you've got something uh, that you want to talk to uh, GreenQuest about or reach out to Kevin afterwards. Uh, Gene Beck, you had your hand up, sir. Yeah, thanks, Kevin, uh, for a great talk. I like I like the uh, the slides you put up, you know, showing all the problems. So, having been a driller for years and drilled a lot of deep wells, I, you know, I appreciate your challenge of linear drilling costs because you know that doesn't exist in the oil field, right? They're completely nonlinear. The deeper you get, the more it costs. Um, have you given any thought to? rock destruction technology that goes beyond the typical oil field drill bit design where you know you're basically shearing or crushing the rock one way or another are there other technologies laser technologies things like that that could be a game changer for the for your linear cost development yeah there's some amazing technologies uh, coming out yet uh, maybe not quite commercially ready but they're they're getting close so you know quasi is using a a wave to vaporize rock um i i don't think they've really got to the point where they figure out how to get the 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 um the dust out of the hole but uh they're working on it uh and, and they have projects lined up so they'll be coming in and at a certain point they may be the most efficient uh technology to use at a certain phase of a hole um you know there's uh rocket scientists working on right now um shooting explosive small explosive cap uh, capsules past a drill bit into a rock to to uh, charge the rock with energy so it breaks apart easier and uh you know he's accomplishing a, a much faster uh, drilling rate in hard rock so there are some very interesting um approaches to doing that that we're that we're keeping our eye on and talking with very good, thank you. Uh, folks, any other questions out there? Uh, Edgar Velez, are you out there? Are other folks that are, are deeper into the geothermal side from their experience, what are, what are some of your thoughts on what you've heard? I see that uh, Geyer Carlson is asking about uh, any engagements that you've had with the uh, Icelandic uh, technology or geothermal projects? Uh, we actually haven't reached out to, um, you know, there, there, there are major players there, of course, and, uh, and drilling companies. So um, that's a connection we haven't made yet. Um, so Matt Bell just sent over something with regards to projectile drilling. It's in the chat. You guys can get a copy of that. Um, Bill Westbury mentioned something about a, a DOE project back in Houston. Uh, we already talked about uh, Hans Inge. Talk about uh, on the finance side of technology, getting uh, uh, this new tech together. What, what are your thoughts there? Hey, John, how are you? Good, good to see you. So I haven't heard all the discussion because I've been a little bit back and forth, but uh, on the financing side, I know from uh, from the Norwegian side, um, uh, you know, we have a different type of research grants uh, for, you know, uh, the initial R&D as well as uh, piloting. 
And I think uh, there's only been one uh, in the last call, at least the geothermal uh, project. And I think that was a, a pipe in pipe type solution. Uh, and then uh, that was for the Norwegian Research Council. And uh, with regards to uh, Innovation Norway, we have a green platform program. Uh, a lot is about uh, ammonia, hydrogen, obviously, you know, uh, zero emission uh, maritime uh, solutions, etc. But um, uh, there has also been geothermal. Um, uh, my thoughts on that from a Norwegian angle is that, um, you know, our uh, bedrock is uh, is uh, not that well suited for it. Although uh, offshore, obviously, we know a lot about the reservoirs. We know a lot about the, uh, the you know temperatures, etc. So um, uh, that could be an opportunity. Um, seems like the U.S. has some uh, extremely good uh, the funding programs. Uh, the, in my view, one uh, you know those were the best out there. So. I think uh, Texas uh, is probably uh, a good spot to be with regards to developing geothermal technologies as well. Yeah, it's an interesting, um, interesting topic. Um, you know, my creativity is usually on the financial side. Um, you know, and piecing the, the pieces together. And uh, I noticed that some regions really now with the um, a, a lot many regions are going to have a double uh, a doubling of their demand for electricity over the next 10 to 15 years. And they really don't have any solutions because the surrounding regions they normally rely on are busy trying to meet their own supply requirements. And so they're unable to lock this in. And what that does is it means that the price point where you can come in with the best solution is much different than it was 10 years ago. And that's really a, an important part of the logic of what we're doing. We're saying, look, where we identify that someone can pay and someone mentioned $100 a megawatt hour, right? If someone can pay $100 a megawatt hour, okay, how are we going to allocate that? And what does the power purchase agreement look like that would facilitate a very large engineering budget where you can go not only inside your industry but reach out to other industries pull in the best tech possible into a drilling assembly to create an optimal solution and uh, what we realize is there's a lot of room for shaking the snow globe a little bit stirring the soup or mixing the salad whatever you want to call it if we can mix up the order in which things happen it can really reduce the cost because a lot of the cost in these projects is related to risk. And so if you can change the order in these needy regions, uh, not to, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to sound facetious, I'm just saying, you know, regions that really don't have a solution yet. And we can say, look, uh, it's no risk for you to sign a, a PPA at this price point. It'll be the, it's the best option that you have available. How do you and uh, then, you know, we take that and instead of just building, uh, you know, what everyone else is building, we, we create a budget for a few hundred million dollars of engineering. And we build that ID deal, uh, AI, machine learning, IoT sensor package that helps reduce wear and tear on the drill bit, for example. Uh, maybe we 
change the power source to electric downhole. We, we have the capacity right now to be electric downhole. It's just nobody is doing it, right? Why? Well, because you know we're using mudding, really. And so if we look at a combination of technologies that can come in and replace some of the technology barriers like mudding, maybe we can get to that affordable 15 kilometer uh, price point as long as we have the money to do it profitably in one project Got it. and so we kind of flipped the script and we said look let's create a a, a profitable financial model yeah. and then attract the government into it to participate at whatever level you know that they want to participate so we would love if if the canadian government for example would come in and drop down 100 million dollars to uh, reduce the risk profile of our first hole we would love that, you know, but they're much more likely to do that when we have everything else in place. Got it. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, so know. so if you guys have questions, raise your hand. I've got one over here from Robert Knoll. Robert, good to see you. Looks like uh, Robert, are you still there? OK, it looks yeah, like that's I'm here. Can you okay. hear me? yeah, go for it. Great, great. It'll be quick. And it's more on the the uh, residential kind of side of real estate and this product becoming more affordable for apartment complex, multifamily use, things like that for the idea initially I heard about was really dealing with AC control, but uh, always looking for a way to cut energy costs like that. So what's your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think eventually uh, it may get to that point. So you know, the warmer zone you're in, the quicker it, obviously, and if you're talking about air conditioning, the warmer zone you're in, the quicker it, it, it can reach that point. So to go in and, and drill and, and operate, say, a 20 megawatt unit, so let's just throw a number out there, 20,000 homes, you know, um, if, if you're powering 20,000 units, um, then then I think that, you know, by 2035, we may be at the point where you can go in and do that, you know, and, and take a, a small a suburb or something like that and, and be an efficient uh, power source for a suburb. This is a very stable source of, of energy, right? So it's, it's very useful. And, and there are undoubtedly financial models where that's going to work. Uh, but, it, it, you know, to, to get it down to, you know, um, uh, 500 doors, I don't I don't know how long it'll take to get to that point. But if you're talking, uh, you know, 15, 20,000 doors, maybe. Thanks. Uh, I'm going to pick on uh, uh, Tiffany Watson. Tiffany, you're you're in projects with Calpine and geothermal, I think, as a part of your area. What, what, what are you seeing from your perspective? And then I've got uh, Tiffany, while you're coming on, I see Lee Erickson sent out uh, a good example of government funded geothermal drilling in the link below. So you guys can grab that. And then uh, Joffrey was asking, is there risk of earthquakes related to uh, you know, geothermal, this drilling? Kevin? Uh, yeah, there, well, there definitely is to a certain degree. Um, you tend to know the, the landscape that you're going into. So 
you know, if you're close to a fault line, um, it, it's uh, definitely much larger uh, consideration. Part of our, our strategy is, you know, if there's a shift of uh, a few inches, then which is substantial, you know, and if there's a shift down hole of a few inches, how, do, how can we deal with that? So that's part of the tech that uh, we want to be very versatile down hole. So if there's any damage or blood or anything, we want to be able to go in and repair it efficiently. Uh, Dimitri, do you have anything to share from your perspective, from your uh, geothermal work? Uh, Tiffany, are you there? Any of you guys want to? Uh, yeah, guys, thanks a lot. Uh, I, to be honest, I, I, di I didn't have a chance to see the full presentation. I was just going through the slides, and I really like idea. But I mean, my background is oil and gas, correct? I'm coming from, uh, and I spent quite a lot of time in oil and gas and Middle East, especially. And we've been drilling uh, probably the longest, not the deepest, but the longest wells, definitely. And most of the time, we limited some around two to three kilometers. I know the deepest project right now worldwide. It's uh, located in Russia, in Sakhalin. I think it's around 11 kilometers or 12, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. It's a Kolsk ultra deep. But I mean, this project took like 20 or 30 years with different technology. But I mean, the technology limitations were there. And right now, probably it's the same. So for me, I think the biggest challenge here is the technology limitations and the cost to develop this technology. Because looking in oil and gas, I mean, every new leap of technology, it's just enormous investments. And you're trying to open the new, I mean, new new way, a new, like, called direction in drilling. Because going so deep, you will encounter quite a multiple challenges, which will be quite costly to, to resolve. So I think this is, a, for me, is a key challenge of, of this direction, especially yeah, the I depth agree with and you. The material. Right. I agree with you, Dimitri, and, and uh, kind of what we're saying is, uh, you know, similar to Tesla and SpaceX, it's, you know, there is technology available that's not being used or hasn't been incorporated yet to that could uh, replace some of these bottlenecks. And, um, and we just need a project that's large enough and designed in such a way that it satisfies all the stakeholders with a large engineering budget. And we don't need to uh, create new underlying technologies. What we need to do is implement existing technologies to solve problems. Right. Uh, so I, I agree with you in, in what you're saying. I will say that, you, you know, in China, for example, right now, there's a lot of drilling happening at that seven and eight kilometer depth. And, uh, you know, Ever, uh, was a Canadian company, just finished a six kilometer plus hole in uh, New Mexico. So that's about where we're at right now in the six to eight kilometer zone uh, comfortably. And, and um, I think what we're saying is it's pretty obvious right now what the bottlenecks are and someone needs to create a project where we just solve those bottlenecks in order to open up you know, the rest of the world uh, to, to geothermal. Geothermal is such a good uh, energy source. Right. Um, that uh, if we can solve that problem, it's it's worth the investment. So, That's our so uh, just to we're coming in the end of time, Bill Camello, wh what what are you thinking about? You're hearing all this. You're a, a drilling technology guy. What comes to your mind here? Caught you off guard with your uh, mute on. 
but as you're doing that, I see Craig Dunn has asked, why the focus on anywhere perspective, Kevin, for the application when there's a wealth of hot geothermal opportunities that have yet to be developed? So, John, I, I, I do have my unmute working now. <laughs> so actually, the, the big question I have just goes back to what Brian Skeels was asking and Trenton um, was also asking, and that's on the, the rock cooling. So even if you do solve this problem of, of getting down to extremely deep wells, um, you know, I've, I've been working a couple of years now looking at different models. And, and when you start producing that heat in a, in a confined loop system, the rock around that, um, that well gets cooled off. And, and pretty cool within, within a few weeks, unless you really slow down your, your flow rate. Um, and then the time, someone was asking how long it takes to rebuild. You know, so, some of the modeling will show that once you have a cool zone of some meters away from the well, that it, it can take decades to re reheat. So I, I think it's not just a matter of getting down to that depth, but getting down to that depth at a, at a low cost. I know the DOE now is, 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 um, have funding opportunities where they're trying to look at, you know, reducing those costs by 90%. And I, I think that's what you probably need to make this um, work in the future. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting part of the technology challenge in, in calculating the uh, thermal flow rates, you know, through the rock and how far apart do your holes need to be and how deep do you need to be, how much surface area do you need. So um, the good thing about it is that uh, to a certain degree, it's something that can be calculated. And um, I think the, the deeper that you go, um, in the more that the, the thermal conductivity um, acts the same uh, with different types of rocks. So uh, those are important factors that we're looking at and um, kind of studying the science behind that. So um, like you were saying, you know, hey, it would be great if we could get the government to, uh, you know, front end a lot of the risk profile in, in the projects where we're figuring this out. I think it comes back to the reward is large enough that it that it really justifies the investment uh, to figure out these problems because in the end it's stable, very small footprint, no emissions, it's low environmental impact. It's like everything everyone wants in a clean energy asset. Uh, so we're saying these are you know engineerable. Right. challenges and we should make the investment and and solve it because it truly becomes a global solution when we can do that well thanks kevin and that's going to have to be the last word on this fte show uh, so folks how was the expert talk and discussion today i've just turned on the fte survey poll please take it uh, it helps us get better uh, and reminder that today's post show notes will be hitting your inbox pretty soon uh, and if you'd like a copy of the attendee contact list, show transcript summary, or maybe a personal introduction to specific show attendees, well, let us know in the survey and we'll send out a membership link so that you can get access to what you need. Making authentic connections, expanding your networks has never been more important to your business. So next up on it from the experts, what is your change IQ? Did you know that 75% change pursuits don't actually succeed? Well, on March 28th, we have Energy Innova CEO, Marissa McKillis, she demystifies the change adoption and shares best practices reducing change risk to your business. 
Then S&P Global Commodity Insights hydrogen pricing analyst Santiago Soria comes on talking about pricing model concepts for low carbon hydrogen and ammonia. Then we have Google sustainability and energy transition lead Trinity Lloyd. She shares how they're rapidly applying big data and technology to create affordable low carbon power solutions for community and business ecosystems at scale around the world. And last on the docket, Sirinor, co-founder, CEO, Abhijit Inamdar, talks about how they're leading the way to decarbonize the aviation industry and why hydrogen is the solution. With over 1,900 members, 20,000 followers across 25 industries, the FT network is growing quickly, accelerating opportunity flow for you and for your business. Wondering where you fit in? Learn more about our membership packages and register for more shows like this one on our website, ft.network. Folks, we're out of time. Thank you once again, Kevin, and all of you from the experts on the FTE show. Take Thanks, care. Thanks, everyone.